Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Good day and good morrow to everyone out there. Welcome to this, our 100th episode. We're, um... We've officially made it. We're uh, in syndication. This is where we get picked up. <laughs> this is where TNT plays us at midnight every night. Like, we made it. This is it. We're in money now, right? Uh, so, as always, I am your host, uh, Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my uh, lovely co-host, uh, who I've had to listen to for 100, 100 weeks straight, uh, Mr. Drew Garrison. It's cracking, baby. Hey, man. Uh, wow. I I can't believe that... Especially for us two guys that we've maintained to continue to do this for so long. Like, and especially when you think about where this started to where it is now and the type of people that are willing to come and talk to us blows my mind every single day. Uh, And I, you know, as I'm excited about tonight, I'm excited about our future. We just have a lot of really good things going and we just appreciate everybody who at least we get enough listens to continue to do this. And that's, and I think that's important, right? That it's just, there's, there's enough people to know. We're kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's this, this is worth it. Um, tonight's episode is going to be fun. We're going to, we're going to talk about some, some crackdowns from the TTB, which we know is one of our favorite things to talk about that fun little organization. And then we're going to talk about the rich getting richer with some brand new distilleries and our guest tonight. I wish I had a drum roll. I should have preloaded a, a drum roll, uh, a soundbite. I didn't do that. I, I, think I was more concerned been, about what I was drinking. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there was def, there's there's definitely those guests that you get like really nervous about what we're going to be drinking, and we and we are you know we're back in an evening slot, so it's a little bit more appropriate than our nine a.m. recordings, and so it's kind of Speak like for like, yourself, oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's like so, what's he going to think about my choices? Um, so our guest tonight is the author of the bar book and drinking distilled. He has been covering this industry in a whole different sort of way for the last 20 years through his website, through all of his social media, just his influence on everybody is ridiculous. And to the point where this man and James Beard, they're almost synonymous at this point. Like it's just, it's just so ridiculous. You know, you can't read anything without someone being like, Oh, by the way, James Beard, James Beard involved with this, with this young man. Um, our guest tonight is the Jeffrey Morgenthaler, pronounced Morgenthaler, like Morgenthaler. Jeffrey, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. You are in the eye of the storm of opening up a new bar restaurant, and you're here with us. There's a little bit of calm. We're going to send you back to it after this, but you're here. Thank you so much. Why don't you uh, tell us if you're drinking anything, and then also just maybe for our uninitiated guests, a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, I wasn't going to drink anything because I've got a lot of work to do tonight. And then I didn't want to be a total party pooper. So, oh, you're drinking red wine too. I, um, we had some red wine left over from last night because um, we can almost never finish a bottle. Um, so I'm having some Syncline Grenache Carignan. We took a trip out to uh, Syncline Winery out in the Columbia Valley. Uh, yesterday to pick up my girlfriend's, um, wine club 
drop and uh, we got, you know, about a third of a way into a bottle and then we called it quits last night. <laughs> that that happens that happens to the best of us. Now let me ask you this. Now you have like like we had just mentioned, like this history in really more closely connected to spirits, right? You know, cocktails, mm-hmm. spirits and, and things yep. of that and you know a lot of lot of research and I mean brands have been created based off of your research, right? That's that's insane. But <laughs> when it comes when it comes to the wine world, I mean you know, is there, do you, do you feel like there's a similar cachet because of your time in, um, in restaurants? I mean, obviously this is a very down to earth industry, but I still have to think that like, you know, if I'm the winemaker of this winery, I'm kind of like, I'm like, Oh man, Jeffy's girlfriend is a wine member. We got to make sure this doesn't suck. Cause, uh, he's got quite, he's got quite the influence. I don't know if that's something that people think I'm about. Not, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm about exactly, um, well, no. I mean, I know more about spirits than I do wine. I don't really know much about wine. Wine is hard because wine always changes. It's like year after year, right? You don't, right. it's yeah. not like, you know, it's not like mellow corn, which tastes like mellow corn pretty much year after year or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you have to like know vintages and it's, wine's really hard. There's also just so much more of it than there, you know, our spirits, you know, there's like, there's like Jim Beam and then there's like 5 million different types of white wine. You know, it's like, um, yeah. uh, so I've always, I'm, I'm not like intimidated by wine, but I just don't spend a lot of time like learning, all, memorizing all the little details of all the wineries and all the vintages and all the types. I just kind of like wine. I like what I like. I don't, you know, I don't really drink all that much. So, um, I like a nice, this is, uh, this is a red that they recommended, uh, be chilled. Cause it's like a super light style, uh, which is kind of my jam too. Like I like cold wine. That's like my favorite yeah. kind of wine is cold wine. <laughs> I, li- I like it. I mean, I think I, I totally agree that this has been a, a quest of mine to get more into, into wine and kind of learn the verbiage a little bit. But I, but I think I run into the same stuff. It's like, it's like, for whatever reason, it clicks with me. Like I can tell you differences in different parts of Mexico when it comes to Mezcal, but then you start talking about the difference in Sonoma totally. versus, versus Nap. And I'm kind of like, I'm out, I'm out. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with no my idea. hands. And, no uh, idea. <laughs> I'm totally, totally out. So I, I get it. I get it. That does make me feel better. It's like, Hey, he's not into it. I but I also so think hard. that wine's not supposed to be consumed like that. I don't think wine, I don't actually, I don't think any alcohol is supposed to be um, spoken about in hushed, revered tones. You know, it's just like, well, like wine's an agricultural product. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, I think you're just supposed to drink it and enjoy it. You know, when you go to other countries, the, the relationship that they have with wine is so different than the relationship that Americans seem to have with wine. What in in what really ways is, do you think? Well, you know, it's like when you go to like, especially like Spain, France, and Italy, and and you get a bottle of wine. It's it's really it really is just like an agricultural product that you get at a store that goes with your food, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's really not much more than that. Um, it's only in the states that you see these like eighty dollar bottles of wine, you know, and 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 people writing like whole magazine articles about them. Yeah. You, know, you just yeah, don't so really see like, that in other countries. So it's it's more so kind of like the you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna take our two to three hour lunch, and we're gonna take this red wine and also mix in some sparkling water and just crush totally. it for like the next the next three hours, which 
which delicious, I wish that like, we had more of that three beer. euro bottle of wine you know and it's delicious yeah yeah no yeah. I, but I'm I, the same way with spirits like I don't like you know I just don't like uh I just never I, you know I'm, I'm just not into this like um you know rare spirits I you know I like a I, you know most of what I drink is like on the like bottom you know third of the shelf you know, I like finding those bourbons that are like seventeen ninety five a bottle and they're super delicious. I just don't, you know, I've never purchased a $250 bottle of bourbon ever. I just, ever. I just feel Not like ever? I'm, I'm ever. talking to, ever. I, I feel like is I'm that, talking to the patron saint of bourbon for you. I mean, I've, I've drank plenty of them. Yeah. And it's, and, and I bought, you know, I bought it for the bar or whatever, but I just, you know, it, it, um, you can you can find really great spirits for under you know twenty five bucks. I just I don't get the I don't get the point of, um, you know, spending that kind of money on a bottle of whiskey. Well, everybody who shops at the Good Bottle uh, at my liquor store needs to tune out now. It's we're done with this conversation. <laughs> Jeff's Jeff's off the air. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> that was it was really that was a great talk. <laughs> Well, okay, so as I'm you totally drink in, your beer, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> no, no, no. in agreement. Drinking, I'm totally in agreement. Uh, I'm, I'm drinking uh, Portuguese bubbly. Oh, delicious! Wow. Because nice, I, very much along that same same vibe. Is like it's cheap, it, it's inexpensive, yeah. and it's fucking delicious, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't need you don't need to like crush hundred, two hundred thousand dollar bottles to get no. like, some enjoyment out of it. No. I think one of my favorite favorite wines right now is like wholesale seven dollars. So on the shelf, it's like eleven, and it's a, and it's actually a Portuguese wine as well. So yeah. I think there's obviously something going on in Portugal right now that that we not figured out. So now let now let's go back to the bourbon thing because this is one of my favorite talking points because bourbon has you know it has been on this upper trajectory for for quite a few years now, but. In particular, especially over the pandemic, you've had this huge influx of new buyers into the market. And then like some of these like secondary prices are getting just absolutely ridiculous, right? In Mm -hmm. terms of what people are willing to pay for this stuff. Um, I know for myself, you know, I'm good at like 28 bucks. Like you get me a $28 bourbon. I'm going to show you probably a pretty good time and that I don't need much on that. But at the risk of blowing up the next hype bourbon. Is there one that's kind of like your go-to that like, like this is just what you guys should be drinking. I don't understand why you're paying more than 30 bucks for any of this stuff. I always, I always um, answer this question with like anything by heaven Hill um, in that price. Like, you know, Elijah Craig, obviously um, I think larceny is super underrated. Um, and that's in the like sub 35 probably i can't remember it's been a long time since i bought alcohol um but you know well, i think larceny's uh chris what is larceny like 30 yeah it depends on which mark you're getting but if you're just getting their like their flagship i think here in yeah. california it'll run, it, it'll run you about 35 36 depending on you know yeah totally like if any, you're going to like safeway or if you're going to like corner store or whatnot yeah, any of those are are like I'm just like trying to look at my bottles right now. Any of those are are kind of my favorites, you know. 
I've always been a, um, I've always been like a, a Four Roses Yellow Label guy, you know, like that. Yeah, it's good. Even, even though they got rid of Yellow Label because it somehow was, I don't know, cheapening the product. I know they was, changed the color of the label, and it's like I don't even know what to call it anymore. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's four. still Yellow Label. <laughs> It'll they, always they put be a wood label, cork right? on it. It's fine. Yeah, they put a wood cork on it for sure. Yeah, I've just always been really opposed to the the kind of like alcohol fetishism. You know, some yeah. article comes out and it says that like, you know, now the new best bourbon that you aren't drinking is Blanton's and now you can't find Blanton's anymore because, you know, which, you know, Blanton's went from being like a a, a good bourbon to a bourbon that like is sold on the secondary market for like, uh, you know, I'm guessing probably a couple hundred bucks these days because you can't find it in a liquor store. You, um, you're, really you'll find it. Out. You'll find it on secondary for close to a thousand but for for just regular Blanton single barrel, yeah, that's so gross. Yeah, I mean it's, anywhere it's, anywhere between uh, anywhere between like two hundred to a thousand dollars, you'll find it. I mean, I, I guess it's worth whatever people will pay for it, but that's not a thousand dollar bourbon. I don't I don't think there is such a thing as a thousand dollar bourbon. No, there's def- uh, there's definitely so. definitely not, and I think and I think that's the that's definitely part of the problem. I mean, on the flip side though. You know, I do spend a lot of time going in and out of different, you know, stores all over Northern California. And it's like I've watched these people walk in and pay these prices. So if you're a store owner and you're kind of like, oh, I can get a thousand dollars for this or or whatever. And then you get it. Well, yeah, like, it's good really, for you. It's, yeah, it's really hard not to be like, yeah, dude, like, I, I get it, you know, so. Why so, would you? I, I, yeah, of course. But if you're I, I just think that it's like if you're one of these dipshits paying a thousand dollars for a bottle of Blanton's uh it doesn't mean you're more educated about whiskey I would I would argue that it means you're less educated about whiskey huh. I I would I would agree as well I mean and I think that's I think that's infiltrating the rest of our the rest of our you know spirits I, I was I was you know obviously I follow a lot of different accounts and there's some that do you know like they'll post like what people are buying and things like that and i I saw this case stack of tequila that was like as tall as the guy. Right. And it was a tequila mm-hmm. that I just, that I'm just sitting there looking at being like, this is not the flex that you think it is, you know? Right. Like that, right. that gets, that's like, that's just not good stuff, but let's, let's move away from that. Cause there is something I wanted to talk <laughs> to you about, um, you know, any, anytime that you read a story that has you involved with it, there's, there's the opening of, you know, Clyde and Common and Pepe Limoco. Like you're just, you know, you that's always mentioned when when there's you know mention of you and and uh yeah, Clyde Common just just closed recently and then you know I know that you got into the canned cocktail thing there the earlier mm-hmm. part of the year. We can talk about that, but but right now you are in the middle of of opening a brand new bar concept in in Portland. And yeah. and it's called the Pacific Standard which mm-hmm. it looks it looks really awesome just based off some of the editorials that have came out so far. But the thing that jumped out to me that I'm sure you're going to be asked about this like numerous times over the next couple of weeks and as people start <laughs> to visit and things like that. But so it's in a hotel, right? Yeah. Called, uh, called Kex. Is that how you yep. say it? 
Okay. Yeah, it's an Icelandic hotel. Okay, which I want to get into because I was like, what the hell does that mean? Does that mean that you put yeah. together your own like bed and desk when you get to your room? <laughs> or like, I don't. No, that's you give, that's Sweden. You give people their, uh, yeah. the ingredients for their cocktail and yeah. uh, and all the ratios are in some other language. They're all in like yeah. Klingon. So, okay. So, so I want, so I, I definitely want you to talk about like what makes it a Scandinavian hotel, because I just think that's really interesting as it was pointed out in one of the articles I read, but also I, I think hotel bars are so interesting and I don't feel like we have too many around us. And there's, there's some, there's some changes that are being made, but I feel like there's so many amazing hotel bars around the world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, now you have this opportunity to, to open up this place and, you know, and I think obviously part of the appeal is just like, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have your collection of locals, but you're going to have a lot of transient traffic through it. And so in looking at that and creating your bar program, you know, kind of around that transient nature, I mean, like, what are some of the unique challenges that you, that you've ran into? And then, and, and obviously you can't predict everything as people, you know, start to come in over the next few weeks. But I mean, what's this process been like knowing that you have kind of like this, you know, moving target of people coming in? Um, I mean, I don't know. I've been working in hotel bars for, you know, I started my first hotel bar in 2009, right? At the beginning of 2009. So I, it's like almost second nature to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the, I like that aspect of it. You know, one thing, well, it's kind of like a hotel bar, a really good hotel bar in a city that supports its hotel bars, you know, and I'm talking about like, you know, a good cool fun hotel bar you know not the bar at like you know at the radisson that you're staying at right <laughs> but like a really good you know the great great hotel bars in history um as a bartender it's kind of the perfect storm because like there are two scenarios that i don't like tending bar one is like the first bar that i started tending bar at and that was a neighborhood tavern right where it was the same crowd the same exact people every single night every single hour right you knew who was coming in at three you knew who was coming in at four you knew who was coming in at nine it was like the same faces over and over again and part of that is great because you sort of know what to expect and part of it is horrible right because it's like fuck these people i don't want to see you know i don't want to see old you know uh, Mike again, you know, for the sixth time this week. Right. But on the flip side, like a bar that only has a transient population, you get really, uh, bummed not having any regulars, right? It's like really hard because it's just new faces. And there's somebody like, there's, there's sort of like nobody that's got your back. Right. That's one of the great things about having like a, bar with a lot of people in there that you know is like you you know it sort of like feels like home so a hotel Mm -hmm. bar like a really good hotel bar is kind of the best of both worlds like you have like a 50 percent in a in a good hotel bar you have a good like 50 percent transient population and a 50 percent regular population that's what we had at Clyde and it was awesome at any given moment you half the bar would be Portlanders and half the bar would people be people from out of town. And then they're like mingling and they're talking to each other and they're meeting each other. And, you know, some of those travelers are becoming regulars. It's just like, it's a really dreamy scenario. If you can 
land it right as the the bar manager or the bar sort of like creator um it can be a really dynamic space and that's what we did with clyde and that's what you know that's what we're planning on doing with pacific standard so let me ask you this then do you have i feel like i fall into more of like like kind of this group it's like when i'm thinking of bars my mind doesn't go to hotels and i've been trying to fix that as i've traveled over the last couple of years being like like oh no there's like dope bars that are in all these places and i need to start finding them but for for your locals like your locals in portland like now you've you've developed that reputation people are going to come to the standard like at this point like you're you know people mm-hmm. are going to come to see you um hope so <laughs> yeah yeah right but with you know, people in other towns and people that are opening up, like, like I, I'm seeing it here in Sacramento, like where people are trying to elevate the hotel bar scene and it's slowly happening, but there's still some pretty big gaps, but we're, we're is, I feel like it's starting to happen a little bit more and more. Um, yeah. But with that said, like, how do you draw in the locals? How do you change the perception of a hotel as just like this transient space into being like, Hey, no, this is also a place that you can come and hang. You don't have to be staying here to, to come drink at this hotel. Well, fortunately, I didn't have to do that. Like Clyde had been open for a year and a half before I came and took over as the bar manager. So they had already had three bar managers and gone through, you know, the Ace, you know, they're part of the Ace Hotel, um, not owned by the Ace Hotel, but um, in the same building as the Ace Hotel. So all of that work was like really done before I even moved to Portland. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was able to walk in to a crowd that was already, um, you know, very Portland heavy. Um, because I mean, you got it, you, you know, you got to realize back in like 2008, 2009, there weren't a ton of places to get a good drink in Portland, you know, like there were a lot of dive bars. There were a handful of cocktails. It's not like it is now where there's just like great cocktails, like falling out of the trees in Portland. Um, there weren't a lot of places and Clyde had already been a place that did great cocktails and that, you know, and I just came in and just sort of like whipped it up into the next level. Um, but it already had like that reputation and it had a lot of Portland regulars that, that came there. Um, so I had a lot that I could build on, um, like a really good foundation to build on at Clyde. Um, so I don't know, you know, what it would take to do that from scratch in a city that already doesn't have that culture, but here we've got that culture now. Like Clyde was really the first Clyde and the ACE were really like the first, you know, one of the first places in the country, honestly, that had, you know, that was like a modern hotel bar, you know, a modern good hotel bar. Um, and now, you know, there's we've got a, a bunch of places in Portland that have, you know, that are great hotel bars. And when you're putting together, let's say, like the cocktail list for this, uh, you know, for for Pacific Standard, I mean, is there hand holding that goes with it? Because you're thinking, OK, I'm going to have I'm going to have the transient, you know, uh hotel stayer who's just kind of like oh i want to see recognizable names or recognizable cocktails or you know knowing that you also have this really vibrant cocktail scene in portland like are you pushing the envelope more is it a mix of both like what's the thought process going into it kind of starting from scratch and also starting in a world not that we're really post-pandemic but you know what i mean like we're a little bit more Mm -hmm. further out of it like what what's that 
what's that mindset be going into the list and how you prepare? Because I think a lot of people, and especially a lot of our listeners who who do tune into this, can probably learn a little bit, you know, kind of in this scenario and how you build your menu and, and for both regulars and for out of towners. Yeah, I kind of, um, you know, with each project, and this is like the. I don't know, maybe sixth bar that I've opened in my career. Um, something like that. I haven't stopped to count, but um, I've done a few and I, and I always kind of like take a look at um, all of the pre-existing conditions, you know, what the space looks like, what the bar itself looks like, what kind of hours the room is going to be open. You know, if it's a restaurant bar, like look at what the food is. I just kind of like look at everything and, start to sculpt a program based on that. It's like, um, you know, what is the, um, I can't remember who the, it was like Michelangelo or something, you know, it says like, uh, uh, I mean, totally botched the quote, but it's something along the lines of like (laughs) sculpting out of marble, right? You like, you remove everything that's not, um, you know, you start with a block of marble and remove everything that's not, um, you know, David or whatever, you know, like, yeah. Uh, and that's, that's how it kind of feels coming up with a bar program is, is just sort of like, you know, my head is always full of ideas and, and it's like, all right, we'll just like kind of get rid of all of the ideas that don't seem to fit with this program. Right. Um, so for this, for this, uh, project in particular, you know, this is, this is truly a lobby bar. Like it, it is the lobby, like, it's in the center of the lobby. Whereas Clyde was like next door to the ACE and we had a little door that went between the two, but it wasn't like the space, the lobby space and the, and the bar space didn't, and the restaurant space didn't flow into one each other or one another. This is, this is all one giant room. And so um, that has been driving the cocktail menu for me. Cause I'm like, what does it mean to, have a drink in a space that's that dynamic, right? That's full of like travelers and people on their laptops working and, and people with like bags or people with kids or what, you know, it's like, it's a different program than you might do with uh, uh, a bar that's like located in a room off to the side of the lobby or in the back of the hotel or whatever. So um, especially coming from an architecture background, I really look at spaces uh, pretty closely like that and, and, you know, spend a lot of time in the space and, um, you know, kind of try to craft a menu that, that is reflective of that space, because that's kind of the most important thing, right? When you walk into a cocktail bar, it's, or any sort of bar, like the offerings need to kind of match the space, right? So everybody, you give these, you give visual clues to the guest based on, um, you know, uh, based on the space, right? Like, you know, you, that's why we all know not to walk into a, a dive bar that has like Bud Light uh, neon signs and video poker terminals and ask for like a perfect Sazerac, right? I mean, if we're, you know, assuming we're not all fucking idiots, um, <laughs> you know, like we know, we know what kind of bar it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you definitely read the room, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've all met people that don't know that difference and get really upset when they can't get like a perfect, um, you know, like a perfectly built, um, you know, whatever view carré at uh, at their local dive bar. But you know, those are few and far between. 
Yeah. So I have a couple more questions for you, but I know I know Chris is really excited about about having you on, and um, I know he had. I think he might have some questions as well. So I want to give him a chance to interject here because I don't want him to get too drunk on Portuguese sparkling before we get to the rest of the episode. <laughs> so Chris, do you life. have any questions? Yeah, man. Uh, so <laughs> when we're talking, when we're talking about uh, uh, Pacific Standard and the fundamental sort of differences, uh, what what could like our listeners expect when they when they come to see you? Um, is the the cocktail program going to be the same? Is it uh, going to? I mean, obviously the menu is going to be a little bit different, but like, are we going to expect to see uh, Morgenthaler and Banjo like hanging from silks from the ceiling, like telling knock knock jokes to each other? <laughs> like, what's what are we what are we looking at? I don't know what sort of world you just created in your head right there. It's but the I'm world I choose to live in, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know. Uh. We we talked a lot about this idea of uh, eventually trying to get to the, uh, to uh, a place where it's like a kind of an all day menu, um, you know, really sessionable drinks that don't uh, sort of have a time and a place, you know, drinks that are sort of appropriate to have any time of, of day, whether it's, whether it's, um, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon or, or midnight um, really, recognizable classics that we've just kind of, you know, zhuzhed up a little bit uh, and put my, you know, particular spin on. I think the one that I'm probably the most, the, the most exemplifies this attitude is, um, you know, I've talked a lot about, um, and in my second book uh, in Drinking Distilled, I talked about the Bloody Mary and how if you are the type of person that feels like they should order a Bloody Mary after the sun goes down, um, you need to rethink your life choices. And, you know, we kind of started with that. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And and I'm like, you know, what what if, right? Like, what if what if there was a Bloody Mary that was appropriate to drink any time of day? Like, what would that look like? What is a Bloody Mary that's that's drinkable at nine o'clock at night look like? Like, of course, it's savory, but, you know, I think it's lighter in style. It's it's it's. Um, a little zesty. It, it sort of drinks more like a cocktail and less like a jar of marinara. Um, you know, and so I've spent like the past couple months engineering this bloody Mary. That is just this like super light, bright, zesty, almost drinks more like a, a Caesar, which if you know that drink from Canada, it, you know, vodka and Clamato and, and, you know, mix spices. Um, I think is, is really an all day drink. And so, you know, we've kind of been playing with that and like really dialing in like drinks that are, um, that are easy, fun, approachable, sessionable, um, understandable. And then the other big thing is, um, affordable. I feel like post pandemic drinks have gotten up into that sort of like 14, 15, 16, dollar range and we're starting at you know i gotta do some more spreadsheet work tonight as you uh mentioned but i think we're gonna start our menu out at seven dollars and and slowly yeah, build you're, you're, up you're taking that back like like 12 years that's good for you yeah that's, that's fantastic yeah it's kind of my <laughs> forte actually is uh that's what we did at clyde like you know, we had like seven, $8 cocktails, like a lot of seven, $8 cocktails. We never had like super, super expensive cocktails. And so I'm really skilled at, 
at making delicious, affordable cocktails. And I think I want to kind of bring that back because it breaks my heart to see bars get um, unaffordable to people, you know, people that want to go out and have a good time, especially. Hmm, go ahead. The kind the kind of ruins part of the enjoyment of the experience too. When you're like, when you have to start doing like the internal calculus of like, was this drink worth it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, there's, there's another thing that I think is really important. That's, that's kind of missing from the landscape right now is, is, um, my girlfriend and I were talking about this. Um, the idea of a, a grown up bar that young people can drink at is, is a type of bar that is really important. And it was a, it was a type of bar that was really important to me kind of coming up, um, learning how to be a drinker and learning how to be a bartender. Uh, and I think that, uh, it's we've kind of gotten away from it, you know, post COVID, right? With these like 15, 16 plus dollar cocktails. I saw somebody showed me a menu recently where the cocktails were $20. And it's like, and this isn't Portland, like, you know, this isn't like New York or London, like, you know, 20 bucks is really expensive. And I feel strongly about a, a bar where somebody who is in their early 20s can go and get a really fantastic grown up drink and not spend their entire paycheck it helps develop a culture on top of it it certainly does it's a community service yeah yeah and it it also just fills your bar with a different type of person and that's a type of person that i really like you know i don't want to have a bar that's only full of people that can afford 20 dollars cocktails i don't think that makes a great diversity you know in all of its senses makes a great bar there should be old people and young people and rich people and poor people and you know everybody should be at that bar a bar is a is a sacred social community space and and having one price um defeats that purpose yeah i i couldn't agree more i uh, i'm gonna take you on a right hand turn here uh we're gonna get okay. away from your bar and we're gonna get into a little bit of your writing you okay. you have written a few things for Playboy every now and then, uh, <laughs> have you not? I wrote for I had a, a weekly column for Playboy magazine for um, six years, I believe. Jesus, something like that. Yeah, uh, the, that's the back when I was question. reading it for the articles. That's back when I was reading it for the articles. So. <laughs> yeah, this was on Playboy.com, and I think that was all you could do there was read it for the articles. I think you had to probably pay some money if you wanted to not read it for the articles. <laughs> uh, did you did you ever get to bartend a uh, a party at the mansion? No, uh, I got to attend as a guest, uh, not as a worker. I, I is went. That, to is the, that better um, for you or more of a disappointment? No, I think it's better. You know, I know a, f- a few people in uh, my line of work who uh, got to go to the mansion, but it was always like they were like bartending like a party for Absolute. I was a, I got invited as a guest of Mr. Hefner's um, oh. because I was a writer for the magazine. So I went to the um, which I think is the supposedly like the, the most coveted uh, party, the um, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, the like yes, lingerie part where you yep. all. Yep. And so, yeah, I had to wear like, uh, like pajamas basically, uh, to, you know, which is weird for an older gentleman such as myself, <laughs> uh, to, you know, <laughs> pick up pajamas. But yeah, uh, I got to go, um, just once I've been to the Playboy offices a million times. 
for work, but um, uh, just that once I got to go to the party and it was super cool. So, okay. My, my other question, you, you probably don't have an answer to, um, but I, I'm curious, a lot of the books, uh, bar books that were written for Playboy back in the like 60s, 70s, uh, they were all written by a bartender by the name of Thomas Mario. Hey, yeah, you- he was a, he was a, he was their food and, and drink writer. I don't know if he was a bartender per se, but he was, he was their, food he was their writer. Yeah. Did you, did you ever yeah. learn much about him in, in your time for writing for them or? Oh, I was a Thomas Mario fan well before I ever started writing for Playboy. Like I have, um, I have all the books, like I'm a huge, huge fan. And, um, you know, those, those recipes, those cocktail recipes still hold up. They're really, they're, really they're phenomenal. It, and you can't even say that about like the Savoy cocktail book, right? right? Like, right. you know, like, <laughs> like those recipes are good. The one that I always point to is, um, he does a, uh, I think he calls it a white wine cooler. Um, and it's a, it's a wine cooler, you know? And, um, and if you make it just by the book, like straight out of the recipe, it is absolutely perfect. It's got orange bitters. It's got kumal in it. It's got some fruit juice. It is spectacular. I, I need to go find that. Uh, which, do you, which book is it in? Is it in the, his bar book? Like the, the I over- know that it's in, um, I'm looking right now, trying to, I like recently reorganized my, um, cause I also have their, I also have their like Playboy's Tiki party. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's in that. It might too. be, it's definitely in the kind of like taller, skinnier Playboy host and bar book is what it's called. Yep. Oh, it's the, right ho- the host and bar like, book. That's what I have. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the kind of seventies. Oh, it's so great! Look at the um, and this one is from um, God, uh, nineteen seventy-one, the year I was born. Now it's a party. Um, yeah, yeah. Check it out, and and the food recipes are really good. It's, it's, it's such a great book. Uh, but check out the um, the white wine. I think it's called a white wine cooler. Yeah, I'm gonna find that. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to make that. You know, my favorite. I think my favorite aspect of that book, more than it being the the you know the cocktails, which are just this beautiful glimpse in time and everything of what was popular and how things were being written. It's like the first fifty to hundred pages are all about service. Like before you even yes. get yeah, into yeah, the yeah, cocktails yeah. or the recipes or the food, it's all about how to make people feel dope when they walk into your space. Totally. Um, not to. Uh, shift off of that, but I just found the recipe and I, I just got to tell you, it's six ounces of uh, dry white wine, half ounce of brandy, two dashes of orange bitters, a teaspoon of kumal, um, two teaspoons of simple syrup, a half ounce of lemon juice and cucumber peel. Like it sounds fantastic, right? And it, and it really is. I wish, I wish everybody could see, uh, Jeff's like book collection because it's giving me like all the feels right now. Cause you know, obviously the, our, our video isn't always that high quality, but it's like, it's like, you can just tell us it's like, Oh my God, he has so many things I want. It's like, it's like bottles on one side and then it's this books isn't on even, the other side. I know this just, isn't even half of it. It's really, it's just all, <laughs> everything that would fit into this room. 
Right. Okay. So, so I, I, I told you earlier, we, we kind of did a, you know, we did the deep dive and we found some things, you know, that I, that mm. I do want to ask you about. Um, so this one, we're going, we're going back in time. Okay. Okay. And we're going to a time when, uh, you had lots of opinions on things and you were just putting them out into the world. So this was 2006. <laughs> oh boy. Um, and you had a list, uh, seven things you should never catch your bartender doing. <laughs> for for is the record, where, is this for, is this, this is where record, Chris, Chris gets mad at me? Is this this is where yeah, Chris gets mad at you? Because Chris yeah. is is it no going to start off with like bar flare is number one? It, there's <laughs> yeah, a couple good ones yeah, in here. I mean, it's, it's it's not not number one. So. <laughs> It's it's interesting because there's like things in here that are very practical, but I could see at the time them not being practical. So, for example, mm. glass into your ice well, right? Like that absolutely is, not. That, totally that's scammed number, by that. Absolutely, that's number Agreed. one. And 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 I'm thinking like you know again looking through the lens of 2022, you're kind of like well done. And you're like wait 2006. Okay, we still have the the revolutions happening. Like okay, these are things that people need to talk about. And to be honest, like obviously you still see it today. But the one that really jumps out. And I think this is – and it's so funny because there's a line in – because each one has the rule and then has the breakdown and, and laying it out. This one is rule number five, oh and it's lighting things on fire. And you go, mm. you go into this whole thing, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you get to the third section. And this is a standalone line. This is like – you're like, I need people to see this. And it says, mm. if you see your bartender lighting things on fire, get up and leave. Do you still <laughs> feel that people <laughs> – should, should get up and leave when you see fire on cocktails. I just wonder because you had the transformation with with Bloody Marys. I want to see if that applies to fire and cocktails now. I mean, with the exception of the of Portland's own Spanish coffee, yeah, I think it's really fucking dumb. Je- okay, which is, I think which it's, is so I think funny. it's dangerous and dumb and not necessary and just like silly. You know, it, well, in yeah. the article you wrote, I you write like that that's as well. The entire point. You, yeah. you do put that in there. Like, that's your only caveat. Like, you are only allowed to do it for this drink, anything do else, I? and you are the worst. So, you're at the very minimum, you I'm know, consistent. You're, you're very consistent. You're very okay, consistent. I, I, I have some, I, I want to refine this. I, I want to know how, what the limits on this are. Does this include flaming the orange peel? Um, I think that that's d- dumb in a different way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Which is going to be for most of uh, your old fashions, include... just for our listeners. Old fashions, you would flame an orange peel. So, someone put that out there. Uh, yeah, yeah. If I mean, yeah, don't ever serve me an old fashioned with a flamed orange peel. I agree. I just, you know, uh, flamed orange peel. Also, it just tastes like shit. It just tastes like burnt orange <laughs> wax flavor on top of the drink. It's it's really just a cool looking thing. It doesn't make the drink taste better. Like I mean, fresh the, orange uh, oil the, uh, tastes better than burnt orange oil. The blood and sand is arguably the first cocktail with a flamed orange zest over it. And we all know how much you love that one. It's a, one of the worst classic cocktails of all time. One of the five worst classic cocktails of all time. Cla- classic in air quotes, because I don't know <laughs> okay. why it's classic. It's okay. just uh, does this also include uh, uh, sugar cube for absinthe? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's a dumb. That's dumb. But we know the history on that, right? Like that originated in Czechoslovakia back when absinthe was illegal pretty much everywhere else. And they were making this like 
subpar kind of like grain uh, alcohol garbage that uh, didn't loosh the way absinthe did. So they needed like a new, um, they needed a new sort of tradition and they, they decided to light it on fire, but you know, she should never drink flamed or, or absinthe that's been poured over a flaming sugar cube. Cause it's garbage. Uh, Uso or Sambuca. No, I mean, what, what's the point of lighting that shit on fire? I don't know, but I, I know it, it doesn't change the flavor. It just doesn't make it any better. You know, it's just a, hey, you know, Jeff, I just gotta let you know, Chris is trying to validate a lot of his existence right now. So I need you to say yes to one of these. Things. I don't, I don't need no, that. I mean, I'm it, as soon as he names something that is worthwhile, I will say yes. Uh, and okay. then for the, for the coup de gras, um, uh, blowing, blowing fire behind the bar. Super looks when you're when you're 22 years old and you go to a bar and the bartender is doing that. It looks super super cool. I love this. There just destroy. There you go. And that's like, it. This was this was like Chris's idea for a guest, and he just yeah. destroyed his whole. Being. No, no. Here's like, the, just... here's here's my history with hanging out with with Jeff. Like every time it's at his bar, um, uh, Jeff's got this uh, amazing talent to know every single joke known to man. Uh, so you can't sit mm. at his bar and tell him jokes. He will tell you jokes or he'll finish your yeah. line, uh, yeah. which is incredibly amazing and and just infuriating. And so I was ready for this uh, going into this interview that I knew I knew that Jeff's got these uh, these heartfelt opinions and I'm I'm here for it. I mean, I've been doing this for it. a long, 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 long time. I've heard every joke. Yeah, you know, I've, <laughs> I've sort of seen every trick, you know, <laughs> Okay, well, let me uh, before we get into our top articles, because we're already 45 minutes into into the show, which is also awesome because that just I I love when the shows go like this. But now you have these books that you're known for this incredible um, depth of knowledge just on this on the history of spirits and cocktails and all these different awards and accolations and gigs and time hanging out with Hugh Hefner and da da this da da that. But what I really want to know is how did you land on the perfect chocolate chip cookie recipe? Oh, <laughs> um, I really love chocolate chip cookies. And I started with the Joy of Cooking recipe. And, you know, it, it sort of like wasn't thin enough. And, you know, for me, like it needs to be for me, like the perfect chocolate chip cookie is like thin and like crispy on the outside, but still kind of like soft and gooey on the inside. Not, not, I don't even mean just like fresh out of the oven. I just mean like in general, like, you know, like yeah. a day later, yes. it's still, I still need it to be like kind of crispy on the outside and gooey on the inside and, and nice and thin. And, uh, I just kept like messing with it until I had something that I liked. And then, um, when COVID hit, um, one of my bartenders had been telling me, that she thought that I should put that recipe online. And I was always like, why would I put a food recipe on like my website? Like, you know, and, and I took her advice and I did. And, and, and it just kind of like blew up and became a, like an industry thing. Like people were making the, which was so cool. Right. Like, you yeah. know, cause I felt like, I also felt like everybody was, was doing enough drinking. They didn't need me to help with their drinking. Right. <laughs> if anything, people needed me to like, maybe, give them something else to do besides sit at home. Like, remember when we were all sitting at home, like we like weren't even leaving the house. Yeah. 
people were drinking yes. a lot and and i was really happy to give them something that wasn't drinking you know you're like you're like you know hey you guys give up this vice and here's another one chocolate chip cookies <laughs> yeah yeah get get diabetes a different way well, I thought I thought it was, you know, in, in, in the article that you wrote and put on your website. So people can go to, to Jeffrey's website and they can read the they can read it there. He also uh, links to a really awesome kitchen scale that's bright ass orange. It's really amazing. Mm-hmm. But I like in the in that little, you know, article, like you you have like the classic thing that you find on every recipe, right? It's like the story, it's some backstory mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I love the thought of you showing up to like a friend's kind of hangout and obviously having this reputation as the cocktail guy and being like, I'm not bringing drinks. I'm bringing cookies. Like here's the, here's the ultimate. Never had any complaints. Never had any complaints. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also love it. Oh, and then actually one last thing, because I do think it's important. Um, And so you've been on the show before because we covered an hmm. article that you did last year and it was the daily beast article where you talked about the American bar etiquette kind of being dead. And what does that mean for us moving forward? And mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of it, you basically got to the point where it was like, Hey, just let's just be common. Let's have some common decency for each other and treat each other with respect. Um, now I know the, the, the standard hasn't, the Pacific standard hasn't opened yet, but do you think that we've gotten back to a place where people are being courteous again and kind of, you know, creating a fun, <laughs> hospitable environment? Or do you think it's gotten worse? Because I have my opinion. Fuck, I hope so, man. I haven't been behind the bar in a while, and I really hope that it's, uh, um, you know, I hope that we're, you know, I, I talk to my friends in the in the business, like around town and around the country and around the world. And, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like it's getting better. I feel like people are kind of returning to, to um, stasis, you know, to, to sort of zero. Um, I hope so. You know, uh, not so much for me. I don't, you know, I can kind of, you know, I've worked in all types of bars. I can kind of deal with anything, but for my staff, you know, it breaks my heart to see my staff get yelled at, you know, my people, the people that I care the most about seeing them treated poorly is, um, is is really a huge bummer for me. So I, I'm banking on the fact that we've gotten to a a kinder, slightly kinder, softer place. But uh, who knows? You know, well, you're going to find out in a know. couple of weeks. I'll tell you that. Yeah, we're going to find out soon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, so I don't want to give you the uh, the 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 line, but um, I guess we have to because it's you know we need we need our listeners to know when when's the ETA? Well, like, what's the the hope? For, uh, for we're hoping open. for June 1st. We're, we're trying for June 1st. Um, it all just kind of depends on staffing. Uh, everything else is is uh, kind of locked in. You know, it's not like we're doing a const- ton of construction and need permits or anything like that. You know how, like, sometimes people, like, you know, say that they're going to open a place and then they get mired up in, in you know, construction and city permitting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, very uh, we don't have to do. Yeah, we don't have to do. Yeah, 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 we don't have to do any of that. So um, it really just kind of depends on staffing. So as nice. soon as we get a, a full team together, we'll open. So we're shooting for June first. Glorious. Well, there I you have it, it, folks. I love it. Well, that's all. That's all really good information. I think we need to 
moving on to uh, giving our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Awesome. So our first story is talking about the TTB, that lovely organization that is always checking in on us, making sure that labels aren't lying to us and keeping things kind of in order. Um, Their newest crackdown is getting into wine labels and in particular the this movement that we've seen into natural wine or um, unadulterated wine, low intervention wine and the use of the word clean. Um, they cited multiple sources where clean was used as almost kind of like a production note, even though there's not really a thing. And they they also feel it's important, like, hey, this is still can be a harmful product. We need to keep clean out of it. And then uh, just within a few days of going over this article, Chris had actually sent me a screenshot of, uh, I guess, maybe a consistent offender or a user of the word clean had already removed it from their marketing material um so i'm gonna throw this to you first uh jeff i think one of the things that you said earlier that is really gonna stick with me probably for the rest of my life is the fetishizing of alcohol Mm -hmm. and i think that definitely is present in uh you know all of them but in particular wine so with that being the case and you seeing the TTB kind of regulating different terms. What are your thoughts towards that? Like, do you think this is this is what they should be spending their time on, or is there bigger fish to fry? What do you think? You know, as as someone who just came out with a line of canned cocktails and having gone through all of this, uh, it is frustrating. Um, you know, to send labels to the TTB and and have them get rejected for for things that that maybe seem, um, you know, seem a little uh, silly at the time. On the other hand, as somebody that knows uh, just how uh, dangerous it can get with a company, I mean, companies certainly, you know, do not have our best interest in mind, um, that it can get really uh, deceptive really quick if there's not somebody there overseeing this kind of stuff. So especially the word clean, like I'm fine with it. Like, I don't, I don't think that word should be used in that way. Um, you know, I, I think that people are, are especially right now are really susceptible to anything kind of like health related uh, and anything that promises uh, health benefits, which I know the TTB is is uh, very careful to uh, try to avoid. And, you know, I don't think there's any need for it. Now, when it comes to in that article, they said something about, you know, uh, being a distinction between, you know, clean flavor and clean kind of, quote unquote, health benefits. Um, you know, I, I can see that being... Um, a difference, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind it. You know, they're, they're, uh, the TTB exists, not just to be difficult, but to keep us from snake oil salesmen. And we already have enough of those right now, you know? (laughs) Yeah. There are, there are plenty of, of those that get through with stuff like bourbon mash and things like that. So it's good to see that these guys stepping their game up and, uh, include things. Chris, what, what do you think? I mean, is is clean a word that you're using in the shop day to day that you're kind of like, hey, guys, this is a super clean wine. 
it, you should uh, buy it, it so you'd be helpful. <laughs> It, it is, but it is its flavor. I use that term a lot when I'm uh, trying to gently educate people against using the term smooth. I, I want, yes. you know, you know I, I, I want, I want them to like develop a, a better, a wider scope of their language that they can access when discussing with other people their experience. More than any, I mean, you know, more than anything, my, my new thing, and this is based a lot on on conversations drew you and i have had um but i try to get people out of flavor altogether and like just like close your eyes breathe into it and tell me like what song you hear and what memory you you, it like evokes for you because that's that's far more interesting when we're talking about when we're talking about why we're talking about spirits anyway i get to know you more as a human being i don't care how um how incredible your palate is like it doesn't do anything for me i'm like i'm surrounded by people like uh like you drew you've got an amazing palate um uh just not when it comes to agave <laughs> oh my god you're yeah. so wow. there wow. it is you know um, it's it's i i, I think that's it that's a really good good kind of way to, to, to put it i mean and and i know that we both have very unique ways of tasting and and you're right like the tasting notes can be so personal using you know, a descriptive term that's not necessarily a taste profile, I think is really important. Like I was doing some, I was doing some videos the other day for, for a local bar where we were trying to educate people on, on agave and, and stuff like that. And they wanted me to give tasting notes in it. And I just was like, I was like, you, I was like, you don't then know me if like, I don't give tasting notes. Like the most I'll do is like, I'll give you shapes. I taste in shapes, you know, it goes like, <laughs> it's like, really big at first and it comes back down and it gets big again. Like that's how I do tasting notes. And then ultimately it comes down to, is it good or is it not for me? And that's kind of my barometer, right? For, for tastings and and whatnot. So I like, I like the thought of using clean as, as a substitute. That's your barometer for public tastings. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, okay, so you're right. You talk if, a if, lot of trash off air, my friend. That is not, you are painting yourself in a light that I think is way too friendly and not accurate at all. No, I mean, I will say if something sucks, it, it does <laughs> suck. But it's not It's not something that, you know, it doesn't serve the brand if you're just burying things all the time. It's just That's not true. for me. Because, well, I mean, and again, and I, and I think all of, I mean, I know both of you have been in this position because you are far more accomplished than I am. Right. And it's like when you're leading a tasting and maybe there's something that you're not necessarily really vibing with or something like that. I mean, I would have to, especially for you, Jeff, like we were talking about earlier with the wine stuff. It's like, okay, if, if he is the expert and he thinks this sucks and I like it, like, what does that say about me as a normal consumer? Like, you just can't totally. play those games in those settings, yeah. right? Like, that's yeah, not yeah. agreed. That and yeah. that goes completely against everything that I mean. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, like, and what I really, what I, what I do think that the common thread amongst all of us, especially now at this point, especially after the last two and a half years, is that each and every one of us is is one hundred percent addicted to hospitality. Right. Mm -hmm. We cannot get enough and we can't walk away from it. Despite the world being like, we shut down that whole industry, get the fuck out. This is not a good place to be. We were like, nope, we're going to open up another bar. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to double, I'm going to double down on it. Yeah. So I I think losing my, my jobs, my two jobs wasn't enough. Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah. Yeah. create Jesus. one and then lose that one too. Yeah. yeah so yeah, exactly. So I, exactly. So I think that's like the, the responsibility that you have as like this person who's addicted to hospitality to make sure that people still feel like part of the process and, and like, and that their, their stuff is validated. I mean, you're right. Like there's, Gun in my head, I'll, I'll give you tasting notes, but I don't want to do it. And, and I was even having a conversation this past weekend at a tasting that I was doing where, um, oh, oh my gosh, I was talking with a guy and I really respect this guy's palate. Like he drinks a lot of scotch whiskey. But at one point we were talking about these things. He's like, he's like, I want to get to your level. And I was like, at what point have you ever heard me use a descriptive term like that? He's like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like you know what you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, but a lot of it is just the bravado, right? But then I was like, but if you really do want to know those things, like go to a grocery store, buy a bunch of different spices. I was like, you know, do you know what cardamom tastes like? He's like, no, but I hear it all the time. I'm like, go out and freaking smell it just or taste it. Get an idea of what those things are. And that's how people can get better at this stuff. But I think when you get into that position of, you know, leading that and being the person who's kind of the go-to, that's when you have to take a step back and be like, okay, like, it's not for me. It's for other people. And it's like, it's a boom at the beginning. And then it softens at the end. Like that's my descriptive tasting notes. So, well, you know, my mm-hmm. training, my training for, for every staff I've ever been a part of has, um, has been like, remove, remove yourself and your ego out of, out of your tasting, which is probably one of the hardest things to do. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're drinking something, don't think about yourself. Think about, think about what somebody else is going to be tasting. Think about somebody else's experience because what matters like you can have this entire Rolodex of flavor profiles and tasting notes and, you know, know the distillation specs on however many bourbons and, and, and scotches and, you know, agave distillates that you want. But when it comes to the person who's on the other side of the bar, who's giving you the money to do your job and who just wants to like have a nice time, they don't care about that. Nine, 99% of the time. And if they do, that's dope that you have that information. But what they want to know is like, do you like it? And if you don't, why not? Or, you know, they'll ask you that. But what they mean is, will I like it? Right. They don't mm-hmm. actually care if you like it. They want to know if I'll like it. Yeah. Sitting yeah. here. True. So, True. so let, let's bring it back to the TTB. Cause um, what I have pulled up right now is an article that, that uh, the title is, Star bartender Jeffrey Morgenthaler now has a line of canned cocktails, um, mm. which I just I love that. That's it's just I didn't write like, yeah. that. No, I know you did it, but I wanted to make sure everybody knew what it was. I, I mean, you know, just after an hour of talking with you, I'm like, he definitely didn't is not responsible for this headline. Um, no, but so you know, so you you partner up with um, the Nikasi Brewing, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. you have you had three that came out. You had the Agave Paloma, the Gin Rick, the Gin Ricky, and then the Bourbon Renewal, which is one of you know the cocktails that really put you on the map. When you were going through the TTB process and doing those three, was there anything that happened during that process that surprised you? Kind of like you're not going to let me put that on there, or you're going to let me put that on there? Was there anything that jumps out at you when you think about that process? Probably, but it was so long ago. It, I, you know, this was this was like almost a year ago that we were going through that process. So uh-huh. uh, I don't really remember. Like, it takes a really long time for a product to come out. Right? Is it um, now? And I know. And these are things that are still available, though, right? 
Did, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, they just—they like, oh, just, they just, just, they just came out in January. Yeah. Okay. All right. So they're, cool. Yeah, they're very much out, and they're in, they're in uh, Washington, Oregon, California, Idaho, Nevada, and Arizona. Cool. Cool. Who's right. your so, who's who's distributing your your cocktails? Uh, it's kind of all over the place, and we're not in every single store and every single market in those states. Um, you know, it kind of depends on uh, which of our distributor partners decided to pick us up. Um, gotcha. You know, because Nikasi already has pre-existing. They're you know they're one of the larger independent microbreweries in the country. Um, and so it depends on, you know, which partners decided to pick it up. So, you know, in California, you know, it's only in a few select cities. It's not universal, you know, Oregon, we're in, you know, we're in liquor stores, OCC liquor stores around the state, but, um, other states, you know, it's, it's a little, a little bit more patchwork, um, at the moment. That's, it's interesting. I wonder what it would be. Because in California, you can have multiple beer distributors. So obviously, that's where a lot of those oh, relationships would it, which would initially exist. And so I wonder how that works with them. We're getting off topic, and I apologize to our listeners because now we're yeah. doing too much of the insider <laughs> baseball. Um, but anyways, go out there and find it because they look delicious, and they, they are taste here. they taste delicious. I'm a I'm a I'm a, a very picky guy and i engineered them to uh to be the best okay and i'm gonna I, find out where like these are at very... and hopefully we'll have an answer by the time this is open. also you know one of the things that i love about working with the people that i do is that you know it's a lot of like small producers and whatnot and i always mm-hmm. ask them it's like what is it like to see your product on the shelves and it's always like great answers and i love the fact when someone's like you know i can't believe that you know from this little village in mexico like my stuff is here or the small town mm-hmm. in california and now it's here and people are loving it i mean your name is very prominent on those cans like is that kind of a trip to see it or are you desensitized to it at all a, it's such a trip like and i it, like in the design um process you know i kept saying like we could make my name smaller you know and they were like no bigger and i'm like no, okay <laughs> okay all right it just, i just like, i mean mm. the, the, the cans look great it's not it's not egregious at all but it's just it's very clearly your name it's very and I just was yeah like, it's i just was like i was like that's fucking dope i mean what is that the, what's that gotta feel like and i'm glad that you're not a psychopath and it's like somewhat uncomfortable for you so it's That's it's a, very uncomfortable, but I'm I'm so trying I wanna, to you know. I want to take you take you down a philosophical path, uh, just just mm. for a moment. As a bartender, we all like reach local fame, right? Like it was, sure. it's just sort of it comes part and parcel. But you, every every bartender in the world is somebody's favorite bartender ever, from day one. Absolutely, totally. Like the, the second you totally. step behind the bar, that's it. But yep. you've reached a level on unlike many others. And to be as famed and world renowned as you are, what's that like when you think about it from a from a hospitality perspective? Like this is what I do and it's weird that people know me, or this is what I do and it's cool that people know me, or 
uh, this is great for the industry or this is just really fucking weird when I hear people whisper my name as I walk through a room. Like, what what is it for you? <laughs> That's that that part has never happened. Um, no, there's no way that it hasn't happened. That's definitely happened to you. I'm whispered. sorry. That is well, maybe I just have very bad hearing. Um, yeah. I um my uh recognition has always come from a place of me sharing my knowledge with the world um and so when people know who i am in the bar world i think it's a good thing because it means that i'm helping you know like i would never want to be one of those people that's like famous for being famous but if mm. i'm well known in the bar world for being somebody that's helped bartenders um be better at their job or make their job easier, make their job uh, smarter or more fun, uh, then I think that that's a really good thing, um, you know, and, and consumers too. But, you know, my primary target audience is, is bartenders, people who make drinks professionally. I certainly want to help home bartenders. And I think my books and my website have done that for people, but um, I do what I do because I have a unique set of knowledge that I think a lot of people don't have. And I have a unique perspective in that I really feel passionate about sharing my knowledge, uh, for free. And so if, if people know me for that, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. That's a great answer. Thank you for that. I can't <laughs> wait to whisper around you the next time I'm close to you. It's I won't hear it. I, I worked in clubs for many, many years. I, I'll never hear it. I can't hear anything. Um. Well, I think that wraps up the TTB talk. Yeah. Okay. So in our next story, Heaven Hill, it just, just announced they're going to be building a brand new distillery. That's going to be a $135 million facility that they will be ready by 2024. The goal is to have its initial capacity at 10 million gallons per year, which is roughly about 150,000 barrels that they will eventually ramp up the production to 30 million gallons per year. Now, Jeff, we already know that you're a big heaven Hill fan. Uh, I'm sure you're excited about this. I mean, does the world need more heaven Hill? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I'm. It's my favorite American um, distillery. I love their products. Um, I've been to the old um, facility. It's not much to look at, which is actually kind of great for a for distillery. You know, when I go to a, a a winery or a brewery or a distillery that's like very, 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 very fancy, I'm usually like kind of suspect of the product they make there. Um, yeah. but. Uh, and Heaven Hills was always like very kind of, you know, pretty industrial, which is great. Um, uh, so I'm excited to go, you know, be able to see a new, you know, new and improved facility. Yeah, they do. They currently have 63 warehouses throughout Nelson and Jefferson County. So I'm yeah. sure they're trying to uh, consolidate a little bit. Chris, what do you think? What are some of your thoughts on the Heaven Hill uh, re- expansion or uh, you brand know- new building? I'll be honest. The first thing that came to my mind was how long ago was that strike? Was that uh, end end of last year? It was um, the summer last last it was, last it was summer. Last fall. summer. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think that 
that seems like a really quick turnaround and and there's no there's no way that the two aren't connected in some some way fashion or form right like they must you don't you don't just decide to to move and then and then you know a few months later end up there right there's right there's definitely yeah there's definitely some some foresight into this and they were probably pocketing some of this money it just sucks that it comes at the back on the backs of a lot of their employees uh who ultimately reached a deal yeah it's important year. to mention that yeah 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 i and you know and and heaven hill distillery i think what what sort of irked me about this press release was you know they they kept um leaning into this idea that you know heaven hill is built by the people of bardstown you know they, they yeah. really developed this and i was like that's i feel like if you truly believed that then then the strike never would have happened but you know i that's obviously we're we're fly we're a fly on the wall uh yeah it's not- and, and i mean and, and listen i i mean i get it i totally understand that sentiment you know in terms of you know being you know, if you really felt that it would have been easy, but at the end of the day, and I think, you know, again, to bring it back to the alcohol fetishizing and just like the romantic view that we take on spirits at times um, and wines and, and beers and whatnot, is that like, this is still a business yeah. and Heaven Hill was making business decisions. And obviously part of that business was like, we need to make sure that we can pay for this $135 million facility, which is going up in about two years, which I just think is crazy. And I'm wondering like, you know, just with today's pricing on lumber and whatnot, it's like, I mean, how like, is it going to be a small building? Because like, this is, it's a high price point, obviously. Predominantly also, steel or stucco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, all that being said, that, that was my, that was my gut reaction. I, I've, Heaven Hill, I don't think has ever put out anything I've I've truly disliked, uh, and for the most part of it, I I'm right there with Jeff, man. Like I, I think all their whiskey is fucking fantastic. I drink any of it um, all day, every day. It's and and with the fetishizing of specifically bourbon that we've witnessed over the last few years, few years, ten years. God, I I've lost track of time of, of fifteen. Like, this damn roller coaster <laughs> has been insane. Um, it's just it's just up and up and up uh you know these guys you know they need to reach a point where that they, they can actually keep up with the market and no one seems to be able to do that right now and, and produce quality uh, yeah sorry not hang on let me back up that statement not and not produce quality it's just this the managing expectations and the and the um forecasting down the road with what what this looks like and how much is going to be necessary in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, which is such an insane skill to have anyway. Um I I think that this is this is the only move that Heaven Hill could make. Yeah, they need they need to make more booze. I I totally agree with you. Um that did remind me so so Jeff, when you're buying spirits for like for a new bar, I mean is is Oregon state controlled or are you guys? Yep. yep. Yeah. We are state so, controlled. Okay. I, I, I think that's something that we've talked about a few times on this podcast, but we, we, I don't know if we've actually had anybody who's in that situation and kind of what that means, you know, that's a good for point. Them. I don't think we have. Well, yeah. for your listeners, it means that, um, the state of Oregon, um, 
not only regulates the sale of alcohol, which, uh, you know, every single state has some sort of uh, liquor control con- commission that uh, regulates the sale of alcohol. They also buy and sell the alcohol. Um, so when I buy booze for the store, or actually even for home, uh, I buy it from a, uh, a state owned private citizen run liquor store. So they set the pricing. The pricing is uniform across the state. So if I'm in uh, Ashland, Oregon, or Burns, Oregon, or Portland, Oregon, and I buy a bottle of uh, Absolute Vodka, it's the same price everywhere. Mm -hmm. Now, how does that work for you guys in getting more of these like, quote unquote, popular um, offerings? So uh let's say we look at somebody like like heaven hill let's see if they have something on here or so a couple mm-hmm. years so a couple years ago they had the henry mckenna right which kind of blew mm-hmm. up momentarily and got really big oh they have or they also have the old fitzgerald bourbon partially is- my fault mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh did, were you part of that judging at in san francisco i'm the head judge of the san francisco world spirits competition so, okay, so yeah, for yeah. for the record, I would like to be included as an alternate. Just I just want to put that okay. out there. I mean, shoot, <laughs> shoot oh. your fucking shot. Um, I will, but uh, I will add you to the list of uh, the many people who have said the same thing to me. Yeah, well, just let me know how many of them have had you on their podcast. So there we go. Good um, point. Great you, point. You know what? This is a this is a two way street, sir. I'm not just asking yep. them. Also giving. Because uh, it's definitely this platform that you definitely need. Um, so <laughs> when so something like Old Fitzgerald, something like the Henry McKenna, like what's the process in getting the quote unquote allocated bourbons at at certain points from a state control level? Uh, I'm not involved in that. Like the the state deals with that. Uh, I will say that our state has a great relationship with uh producers and we have a great relationship with the state in that you know we request things from the state and the state of oregon for the most part gets them for us i i would proffer that uh the state of oregon um as a control state is probably the best of all the control states we are not wanting for anything i mean we have access to pretty much everything that we want and have always wanted. Um, there is are that, a lot is of, that, is that common or was that, um, cause I, I seem to remember people smuggling like chartreuse or was that up to Washington? Was that, was that a thing where people were smuggling chartreuse up to Washington? And yeah, there was Oregon? a, there was a moment in Washington when Washington, Washington was a, a, a state uh, run liquor system, uh, a control state system. Uh, as well. And then uh, probably, mm, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, um, Costco and Safeway really sponsored a bill to convince the people of Washington that um, they didn't need the government interfering in their liquor system they should be able they should have the god-given right to buy a bottle of jose cuervo at safeway or costco or whatever and uh they voted it in and then um uh you know i don't know why but the i think the infrastructure wasn't in place and and uh they couldn't get washington just couldn't get 
things like chartreuse uh and they still have kind of supply chain issues um so i will take our oregon liquor system over the washington system any day um and yeah there were people i remember a bottle of campari in washington was like 45 dollars, which is like oh my god that's a lot to pay for that's a lot to pay for a for a $15 bottle of alcohol. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Makes, yeah, your, I remember, makes your Negroni 15 bucks just like that. Yeah. I Jesus. remember being in Washington and seeing a bottle of mezcal that we sell down here in California for, I think on the shelf, you're going to get it for like 35. And when mm-hmm. I was up in Washington, I saw it for 99 on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, what happened here? This is the most terrifying thing. I mean, and you know, and again, it's like, uh, it, it's there's so many tiers involved. There's so many people that need to get their freaking well, hands on stuff, right? So it's just like and, another and tier. And people another, always point tier. to, sorry, people always point to, um, you know, when they when they point to price differences in control states versus non-control states, like California versus Oregon or California versus the old Washington, they're always pointing at like really like mass market shitty products. You know, it's like. You know, a uh, uh, half gallon of Cuervo Gold or Sauzo Gold down in uh, California is only nineteen ninety five, but here in Oregon, it's you know twenty nine ninety five. And it's um, when you get into better spirits, um, the price difference isn't really that much, honestly. They're just not cutting sweetheart deals with the big conglomerates. They're not cutting to... sweetheart deals because they're not massive, <laughs> massive corporations. You know? uh, do you have to? Do you have to play a lot of the allocation games uh, when it com- when it comes to that? When like dealing with the state state distributors, state run liquor stores, and whatnot. Um. No, and also I don't. You know, I'm not constantly angling to like get my hands on Pappy. You know, like I don't right, care right. about that. Um, so I don't play those games cause I don't care about those games. I, I search for, I seek out the products that are going to be the best for my guests that I feel the strongest about that, um, uh, that I can sell, you know, not just because I want to, you know, make $250 a shot on Pappy Van Winkle, you know, I want to. Provide well, people like, you know, like we were saying earlier about being, you know, a, a grown up bar that young people can go to, you know, that's the experience that I want to provide. Not just like we're the only town there. We're the only bar in town that has, you know, whatever Pappy Rye or Blanton's or whatever coveted, you know. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Eventually, the Good Bottle podcast is going on tour because we keep making promises to come visit people. And mm-hmm. when we come up to visit you, I am very much so looking forward to my Pappy 23 $7 cocktail. So I just want to put that out there. You got <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, just, I just want to, you know, we'll, we could all pretend to be young. I'll tonight. see what I can do. See what yeah. I can do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think, I think we're all in agreement then that we're excited that Heaven Hill is expanding and they're going to be pumping out even better juice over the next couple of years. And, um, and I'm going to be on the San Francisco spirits tasting panel next year. So I look forward to it. It's gonna be great. You know, who's dope them over there. Okay. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show. And this is our dope follows. This is, where we're going to tell you guys who you should be checking out. This could be an Instagram account, Facebook group, book podcast movie whatever the case may be jeffrey you're going to kick this off for us 
who is your dope follow this week? You know, I am a big fan of my friends at two schmucks in Barcelona. And I, in particular, follow one of the owners, Mo Aljaf, and his uh, Instagram handle is schmuck or die, S-C-H-M-U-C-K-O-R-D-I-E. They are uh, just the, the funnest bar. They're irreverent while still being respectful. They're thoughtful. Uh, they're fun. Um, I think it's it's really one of the uh, more exciting uh, accounts, one of the more exciting bars uh, out there these days. Well, and they just did America Week theme week at the bar, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was hilarious because yeah. if you can't laugh at yourself, what can you laugh at? Yeah, especially here. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Seeing their interpretation of Americans and stuff was like, yeah, that's that's probably accurate. accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, who's your don't follow? Uh, mine is uh, I've got two. Um, I've gotten really into playing Wordle uh, lately. Uh, like six I, months behind everybody else. No, no, no. Yeah, I've been wow. playing it for a long time. But uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, m- me and the good bottle crew, we like, we send each other our, like our daily, uh, feet of, of, of our wordle, our wordle score for the day. Anyway, anyway, but, uh, one of our regulars got me into playing uh, a spinoff of the game called world. I uh, love world. World great. Yeah. I, I, I so cheat hard. more often than I will ever admit uh, in public outside of this. Uh, uh, but I love, I love, that it offers me context, you know, like, cause so few people appreciate geography. Um, and I love geography at least just for context, for like understanding where things lie. And it forces me to look at, at maps a lot more. And I just love maps. So there's that one. Mm-hmm. And then today of, uh, Carrie who works at, who works at the shop introduced me to, uh, Oh fuck. I'm going to mess this up. Quirtle. It's quad wordle. It, you you have you have four bricks like you do in Wordle of of like in Wordle you have the single brick and you have like six chances in Quirtle you have four of them it's quad and you have to get each of the four words correct in your in your allotted amount of time and guesses and it's really intense and I fucking love it. So there's that. So everybody nice. should go go check that one out. Uh, in terms of like Instagram, uh, I've got uh, Fluent in Bubbly. It's this uh, this uh, Instagram influencer chick who's all about all about <laughs> bubbles. Uh, she does this great job of of juxtaposing um, facts and info with every other shop being like a great a great you know Instagram pick. So it keeps you engaged. Teaches you a little bit of something, keeps you engaged, teaches you a little bit of something. Um, it's a lot of fun. A lot of stuff, sort of one on one stuff. But you know what? Uh, I think it's really important to get back to one on one because oftentimes we just sort of forget the things that we thought we knew. Um, and so it's kind of good to get get back there. And then every, it, not all of it's one on one. She she does throw in some really really interesting facts too. But I, I think she just does a great job with her account. That's awesome. I love that because yeah, sometimes you need to re- like bring it back to zero for sure and be like, like, oh yeah, that's what that does mean. Uh, cool. So I don't, 
I, I was in Napa last week and just had a really, really great time. So I want to throw out a couple of different people um, that I came across. Um, you know, was that was at Wilfred's, the Tiki Bar, and got to hang out with Doc Parks. Uh, Doc launched his new uh, Tiki mug in his kit, and I'm just really proud of that guy and super excited. I mean, the dude's already a big deal, but it's just really awesome to see him doing that. So go follow Doc Parks. It's Doc underscore Parks. Um, and then I finally made it to Cadet Wine Bar. So Cadet was one that I had shared before without even going there. This is like those people look like they're a great time. And boy, howdy, I was right. Uh, they just have a cool bar. They're right off of Main Street. Napa, you kind of have to – they're tucked back a little bit, so it was a little confusing. But when I got in there, super great. The staff was amazing. And no joke, while I was there, I met – somebody from tank winery the tank garage winery which we had also mentioned on this podcast before so we're hopefully going to have them on pretty soon too so um so yeah so check out doc check out cadet uh go to napa it's just it's it's just a really fun bar they're bringing lots of cool things they also sell like the softest t-shirts ever made so i do have one of those (laughs) uh and it's right to to clarify cadet is cadet underscore wine and beer there's just no it's cadet underscore wine bar so oh gotcha yeah that that's what that's the one that you want to go to um they were great the staff was amazing uh i had a really weird interaction when i came in because i was wearing uh an aloha shirt and uh the guy was like uh it was basically this very derogatory gay joke that i just was kind of like okay Sure, whatever whatever you say, buddy, just went right to the bar. But it was it was a reminder of kind of like, oh yeah, there's still people who fucking suck out here. Um it was really bizarre and it kind of but the person that it happened in front of was the um was uh was Kate from Tank Garage Winery. And she just was like, I'm so sorry for that guy. I'm like, that is you have nothing to do with this person. I don't understand why people feel like they can talk this way in 2022, but here we are. But outside of that very brief interaction with that individual cadet wine bar is so dope so if you find yourself in napa please 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 go and check them out they're super fun they're doing really cool stuff and i think those are some pretty dope follows i'm sorry a good bottle podcast is produced by these two guys. The music for the Good Bottle Podcast is also produced by Leon and Chase Moore. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please go and follow. Leave us a five-star review. Smash that follow button. Uh, you know, do all the things. Jump up and down with your cell phone screaming on the corner of whatever street that you live on and tell everybody to, to pay attention to us. Uh, and, you know, your life will be better for it. It will be better. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast. You can follow Chris at Chris Sinflair, me at D Garrison Six. Jeff, where can they follow you on the social medias? At Jeff Morgan, M O R G E N. And June first, make sure you go check out Pacific Standard and see what they're up. To. Hopefully, it opens by then. I think we're feeling good about that, right? Are we getting too ahead of ourselves? Yeah, we're feeling good. We're feeling, we're feeling good. good. Go check it out. It's going to be awesome. Also, make sure we're going to find out who the distributor is for for the canned cocktail down here too, even if there's multiple ones and uh, we're going to find a, find some homes for it. It's looking well, like it's gold, like it's golden road, golden road. Okay, good. That's, that's, that's what I'm hearing. Golden road. Okay. So, so we have that also Great. check out, check out our Etsy. Also, we're going to just put this out to our listeners. If you have, 
you know, someone in your life who's making t-shirts, making swag items, stuff like that, let me know because we we're, we're looking to make some moves. I was inspired by, uh, my former guest, you know, blood of the gods, wine zine, um, Stacy's they're doing some cool stuff on the other side. We want to, we want to step up our swag game. So if you have some hookups, reach out to us and, and let us know. Cause we got, we have some, we have some ideas percolating that we want to execute. I like percolating. You like that? Yeah. That's for everybody at home. It reminds me of the, the 90s song time for the percolator. And then it also makes me think of like a campfire coffee maker. Both are there very comforting. It's, it's That's nice. all, all the things. 100% comfort. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> if, uh, if you work on a brand that would like to be featured or if you have a story that you would like for us to cover, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase bottles that we drink on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers, big ears. Happy 100. Happy 100. I can't believe we're here. Jeffrey, you're the best. Thanks for being here for 100. Thanks for having me, you guys. Also, got to let you guys know, Justin Dolier, Kohana Rum, I'm your new distributor. Live it. Are you? No, not really. I just just wanted to tell him that because he got mad when I said I wasn't going to be his 